Benjamin, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Me and My Girl. Me and my girl, meant for each other, sent for each other, and liking it so. Me and my girl, it's no use pretending We knew the ending a long time ago Some little church with a big steeple Just a few people that both of us know And we'll have love, laughter, be happy ever after But first, how are we doing? I want to thank you for listening to this, the latest episode of The Musical Man. I hope that this episode finds you well. As always, I have a lot to address here in the opening segment, so I'm just going to go right into it. I want to thank Patty and Benny. I thank Patty and Benny every week for their help in getting this show together each and every week, but it just really means so much to me that Patty and Benny went out of their way to not only celebrate my birthday, which was this past week, but also my anniversary. Chris and I celebrated our sixth general anniversary of being together, but also our first wedding anniversary. It's true. Ding dong, ding dong. And Patty and Benny commemorated the occasion with cider and donuts. Yum, yum, yum. They ordered a hot, 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 hot order of donuts and cider, and it was delivered right to our doorstep, and I just gotta say, it was delicious. Patty and Benny, I hope to return the favor to you on your respective birthdays early next year. You better believe it. Oh, that good karma is gonna come right back around and bite you on the booty is what it's gonna do. (laughs) Also, thank you to the author of our latest five-star review, as well as everyone who retweeted our post about last week's Raisin episode, and, and those who reached out to me via email. Thank you to you as well. I was talking about Six and Starlight Express with Liz. I was yapping, rapping about remixes of Waiting for a Star to Fall with Mark S. And I was talking about Funny Girl with Ross. Discussions galore. Galore, I say. Now, I should also say this as we begin to inch our way to the show facts segment for Me and My Girl. As you'll recall, last week, I assumed Me and My Girl was a Another Gershwin jukebox-style review, but I was confusing Me and My Girl with the 1983 Gershwin show My One and Only. Me and My Girl, My One and Only. I mean, my bad, but you can see how I would confuse those two titles. I'm sure you can. We should also not confuse Me and My Girl the Musical with the Richard O'Sullivan sitcom Me and My Girl, which aired on ITV, British television, between 1984 and 1988. Uh, does the sitcom have an unsettling theme song? Oh, it sure does. My girl and me know that our love will last forever. My girl and me know that we do belong together. Sometimes it seems a shy An addendum regarding our Raisin episode, and then we shall go into the show facts segment. Lena Horne was a regular performer at the Cotton Club, a venue that showcased black singers, dancers, and musicians for exclusively white audiences starting in the 1920s. As one of its rare black customers, the poet Langston Hughes leveled a number of valid criticisms regarding the Cotton Club, comparing it to a zoo that threatened the dignity and black culture of Harlem. That said, I do not believe Hughes would have thought much of Not Anymore, the song from Raisin, that was, as you may recall, written by white people for black people that involves black people making fun of white people and the black artists they claimed to enjoy. 
by having its black characters dismiss Alina Horn, Raisin also dismisses Duke Ellington, Louis Armstrong, Count Bassey, Fats Waller, Cab Calloway, Bessie Smith, Billy Holiday, the Nicholas Brothers, and any number of black artists who performed at the Cotton Club. Are we really going to thumb our noses at everyone who took that gig? I should think not. If the Raisin team had been even a little sharper, they would have critiqued the Cotton Club and kept Lena Horne's name out of the conversation. The same goes for Harry Belafonte, okay? And now it's time for me to show you the show facts regarding Me and My Girl. Show me the show facts, okay? Okay, all right. Me and My Girl is technically a sequel to the musical comedy 20 to 1, which premiered on the West End all the way back in 1935. Set in the world of professional horse racing, 20 to 1 starred Lupino Lane as Bill Snibson, a bookie who joins an anti-gambling organization. The production was extremely popular, logging over 1,000 performances between its initial run at the Coliseum Theater and various touring productions. Audiences were particularly fond of Lupino Lane and the Bill Snibson character, and so a second musical was commissioned to ensure their continued success. When Me and My Girl first premiered on the West End in December 1937, it looked as if the show would be a flop. Luckily, BBC Radio needed a replacement program after a sporting event was cancelled, and so a live matinee performance of the musical was aired in its place. After that, there was no stopping Me and My Girl. The show was adapted into a hit film in 1939, and after logging an astonishing 1,646 performances during its original run, the musical was revived on the West End in 1941, 1945, and 1949. Lupino Lane served as both the star and director for all three revivals. Flash forward to 1984, when the show's book is revised by famed comedians Stephen Fry and Mike Ockrent for yet another West End revival. That production, which was directed by Ockrent and featured Emma Thompson as a member of its cast, ran for 3,303 performances. The 1984 revival of Me and My Girl is currently the 24th longest-running production in the history of the West End. Nestled between Jesus Christ Superstar at number 23, 3,357 performances, and Matilda at number 25, 3,228 performances and counting. Me and My Girl was a success, clearly, but what would happen if you took the Stephen Fry, Mike Ockrent version of the show and moved it to Broadway? Would the material appeal to American audiences? Let's find out together. Me and My Girl was a 1987 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on August 10th, 1986 at the Marquee Theater and ran for 1,420 performances. It is currently the 67th longest-running show in Broadway history, according to Wikipedia, sitting between The Sound of Music at number 66, 1,443 performances, and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, 1,417 performances. The book was originally written by L. Arthur Rose and Douglas Ferber, and revisions were by Stephen Fry and Mike Ockrent. The music was written by Noel Gay. The lyrics were written by L. Arthur Rose and Douglas Ferber. The director... Mike Ockrent, the musical director Stanley Lebowski, choreographer Gillian Gregory, scenic design Martin Johns, lighting design Chris Ellis, and Roger Morgan, sound design Tom Morse, costume design Ann Curtis, and the original Broadway cast included George S. Irving, Robert Lindsay, Marianne Plunkett, Jane Connell, Eric Hudson, Timothy Jerome, Justine Johnson, Elizabeth Lehmer, Leo Leiden, Jane Summerhays, Thomas Toner, Nick Hewlett, Susan Chella, Gloria Jodes and Kenneth H. Waller. And as always, I apologize if I am mispronouncing any of these names. There was a total of 38 people in this cast, an absolutely enormous cast. And I just want to say that Tim Curry, Tim Curry, we love Tim Curry, he starred in the 1987 American tour of this production. So we just want to give props 
all of the props we can to Tim Curry. Tony nods. Okay, so me and my girl won Best Actor in a Musical, Robert Lindsay, Best Actress in a Musical, Marianne Plunkett, and Best Choreography, Gillian Gregory. Could very well be Gillian for all I know, and it was also nominated for Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, L. Arthur Rose, Douglas Ferber, Stephen Fry, and Mike Ockrent. Best Original Score, L. Arthur Rose, Douglas Ferber, Noel Gay. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, George S. Irving. Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Timothy Jerome. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Jane Summerhays. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Jane Connell. Best Scenic Design, Martin Johns. Best Costume Design, Ann Curtis. And Best Direction of a Musical, Mike Ockrent. So, 13 nominations in total, 30 awards at the end of the evening. I'm opting for the short and sweet route this week as the Wikipedia synopsis for Me and My Girl vacillates between somewhat poorly written and thoroughly confusing. We always strive to do our best here on The Musical Man, so bear with me. Bear with me, growl. Our latest subject concerns the Herefords, a snooty family of aristocrats who are living in London in the 1930s. Ha! The family is eager to determine who shall inherit the prestigious title of Earl of Hereford, as no one has been able to identify a legitimate heir. Enter Bill Snibson, a rough-and-tumble cockney fellow from the borough of Lambeth. Bill is the son of the 13th Earl of Hereford, who briefly married a woman from the wrong side of the tracks. Case closed, right? Yes? Show over? Well, not quite. Per the will of the 13th Earl, Bill will need to be trained in the ways of a gentleman if he is to inherit his title and the Hereford estate. If the results of Bill's training do not satisfy the Earl's executors, that being Maria, Duchess of Denae, and Sir John Tremaine, Bill will be thrown back into the gutter, back into the gutter from whence he came. Back, back, I say. Maria has every confidence that Bill can be transformed into a man of merit, but his girlfriend, Sally Smith, she's another story. The scrappy young lady simply isn't fit for high society. And when Maria throws a party in Bill's honor, Sally is not invited. Sir John encourages Sally to forget all about the Herefords and return to Lambeth with Bill, but she refuses. Sally loves Bill and is determined to remain by his side no matter what. As the party begins, Bill manages to impress the Herefords with his newly acquired manners, even if he does run into a spot of trouble here and there. Ah, but who's that at the door? Why, it's Sally, dressed in common attire, and... Oh, what's this? My God! She's invited a bunch of Lambeth hooligans to the party. Sally announces her intentions of returning to Lambeth, and though Bill is eager to join her, another idea suddenly springs to mind. He shall teach his noble brethren the Lambeth Walk, a dance craze that has taken London by storm. Does everyone enjoy performing the Lambeth Walk? Yes, they do. Act 2 begins with Bill preparing to deliver a speech before the House of Lords, otherwise known as the Upper House of UK Parliament. Sally appears to announce once more that she is leaving for Lambeth. Oh, I'm leaving you, Bill. Find yourself a nice, respectable girl. Forget about me. Now thoroughly alone, Bill finds himself haunted by the portraits of his ancestors, which spring to life and order him to forget about Sally. This sequence is apparently, according to Wikipedia, inspired by the 1887 Gilbert and Sullivan opera Rudigore, or The Witch's Curse. Sir John, having taken a liking to our heroes, vows to do everything he can to help them remain together. He enlists the aid of a renowned speech professor who will help Sally impress the Herefords, and their work begins at once. For the record, it is implied that the speech professor is none other than Henry Higgins, which would put me and my girl and my fair lady in the same universe. Fair enough. Bill is not doing well, all things considered. Every fiber of his being yearns to be with Sally once more, Sally, Sally, Sally. Maria is inspired by Bill's devotion and, having realized the error of her ways, runs into the loving embrace of none other than Sir John. Oh, Sir John and Maria. 
are engaged. La la la, doo dee doo, wedding bells, ding dong, ding dong. Which is fabulous, but hardly resolves Bill's predicament. He decides to abandon the Herefords and return to Lambeth at once. But while packing upstairs, a phenomenally refined woman appears wearing a gown and tiara. Why, it's none other than our very own Sally. For one reason or another, Sally chooses to conceal her identity upon first meeting Bill. But the secret is soon exposed, and our lovers are successfully reunited. What's more, the Herefords officially accept them as part of the family, which is a good thing, I suppose. What does this musical think about the landed gentry and the value of their opinion, their acceptance? I suppose the message is be true to yourself, but... If you can be true to yourself while also managing to inherit a ton of money and property, do that as well. Two birds, one stone, bam! Look, I can barely keep track of Sally's motivations. I cannot be expected to address theme using what little resources I have. Someone write a better summary for Wikipedia, and then maybe I'll try tackling theme, okay? For the purposes of this week's episode, I did look into the 1939 film adaptation of the original musical. The film is known as The Lambeth Walk but it is unfortunately seemingly unavailable. I would have enjoyed watching that, I'm sure, but I just want to tell you that I tried and I failed, okay? And so I listened to the 1986 original Broadway cast album of Me and My Girl, which is fairly widely available, and then I watched the 1987 Tony Awards performance of The Lambeth Walk. Now, the audience is obviously in love with star Robert Lindsay and this show, as proven by their frequent and rapturous ovations. So many ovations. There is a pop of applause when Angela Lansbury throws it over to the cast, a second pop when Lindsay first appears, a third pop when Lindsay starts to dance, a fourth pop when the cast makes their way into the house, and a final burst of explosive poppiness. Oh, the poppiness. When the number comes to an end, oh my goodness, the pop, the pop. Based on this reaction, one could assume Me and My Girl would have gone on to win Best Musical. Alas, tis not the case. I found myself leaning into this performance somewhat, but overall it did not leave much of an impression. Lindsay is charming enough, and I enjoyed his interaction with fellow Tony winner James Earl Jones, but the cyclical nature of this English music hall song left me feeling a bit glazed, and not in a zippy, dubbed up way, more like I was simply processing shapes and general movement. I was a baby, basically, gigu gigu, and I realize this is a jab at designer Ann Curtis, but what can you do? The costumes on display. The costumes do not appear to meet Broadway standards. Ah, uh, da da da, no, no, no. I've walked through a few costume closets in my time, and these outfits are Appear to be used. This outfit will generally fit your body frame. I'm throwing it at you. 400 people have worn this in the past. Take it! Take it! Me, I fall the top of the tree. Just you look on and you'll see what's going to happen to me. Me, just you look up and you'll see me on the top of the tree, thinking nothing of no one but me. Okay, so here's the thing. There are two supporting characters in Me and My Girl that are completely ignored by Wikipedia's plot summary. No mention whatsoever. This is a heinous miscarriage of justice that shall be rectified forthwith. Thinking of No One But Me is delivered by Lady Jacqueline Carstone, played by Jane Summerhays, and the Honorable Gerald Bolingbroke, played by Nick Hewlett. Bolingbroke, that is a hard fucking character name to say out loud. Ah, multiple takes. Jacqueline and Gerald are engaged at the top of the show, but their union is threatened by Jane's wandering eye. Jane is only thinking of herself, don't you know, and when Bill arrives, she fights tooth and nail to steal him away from Sally. 
I have no clue what happens to Jane and Gerald. Perhaps they wind up together. Perhaps they wind up together at the bottom of a ditch. Who can say? Who cares? Between Summer Hayes as Lady Jane and Marianne Plunkett as Sally, me and my girl is boasting a hell of a lot of top-shelf talent. Once again, the women are showing the men how it's done on Broadway, and if I have to walk around as a skeleton because Summer Hayes stripped the flesh from my skull using only her voice during this number, which you just heard, so be it. It's October, tis the season to be a skeleton. But come on already, can we be real for a second? This rendition of Thinking of No One But Me is the highlight of the OBC album. It's stupendous. I'm a skeleton. Have you seen the ghost? of John, long white bones with the skin all gone, ooh, ooh, wouldn't it be chilly with no skin on, elementary school music classes of the world, raise your hands in unity. As the family solicitor, here's my advice to you, as the family solicitor, here's what you ought to do. For six and eight, I'll put you straight when anything goes wrong. For I contend, you must pretend that life is one sweet song. So, sing a little and dance a little, be gay a little and play a little. Bring your troubles more and more to the family solicitor. Say a little and think a little and eat a little and drink a little. can't help but feel envious of Timothy Jerome as he appears to be having the time of his life in the role of Herbert Parchester. That's an easier name to say. The Hereford family solicitor. I imagine any actor would relish playing this character as his signature song, which is also called The Family Solicitor, is bursting at the seams with pomp and gusto. What I'm trying to say is that the number is fit for a ham, and if I am anything, it is a ham. There is a healthy dose of Gilbert and Sullivan in the DNA of this poppy bark bark. And if I can't bluster and bustle about as a modern major general, I would be just as happy to do so as the family solicitor. Ooh, I would do so much pointing. Pointing? The pointing would be out of control. I would be the recipient of so many notes, Jonathan. We need you to pare down the pointing. Never! Once you lose your heart, once somebody takes it from the place it rested in before. Once you lose your heart, once somebody wakes it, then it isn't your heart anymore. It's gone. Once you lose your heart, once somebody takes it, there's one thing certain from the start. a great deal of time waiting patiently for a standalone Sally song, one that allowed Marianne Plunkett to shine without anyone else pulling focus. 
And lo and behold, here we are. Once You Lose Your Heart isn't a home run. To be clear, it's more of a double baseball, but that's only because the material is incapable of standing toe to toe with the performer, huh? Well, we've heard that before. We've heard that song before. The best part of the track is its beginning, which sees Plunkett performing alongside a piano and nothing else. It was nice to imagine Sally ruminating in a dark and empty music hall, which is the image that sprung to my mind, at least. This opening section feels grounded, even stark, but that effect is dampened by the creeping encroachment of the full orchestra. Plunkett is playing honest sentiment, and the orchestra is trying to drown her out with sentimentality. Back off, you fools. Let the lady sing. Any time you'll have way, any evening, any day, you'll find us all doing the Lambeth walk. Every little Lambeth gal with a little Lambeth pal, Find them all doing the lamb of woke. Oi! Everything free and easy. Do as you don't well please. Eh? Why don't you make your way there? Go there, stay there. Once you get down Lambeth way, every evening, every day, you'll find yourself doing the lamb of woke. Oi! Anytime you're any evening, any day, you'll find us all doing the Lambeth Walk. Oi! Every little Lambeth now, with a little Lambeth now, you'll find them all doing the Lambeth Walk. Oi! Everything bright and breezy, do as you don't well please. Fine, okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. The Lambeth Walk has officially brainwashed me. Are you happy? I tried to resist, but this thing is relentless, and what am I gonna do? Fight the melody until I am old and gray? I won't do it. I won't do it. I refuse. Despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, I am not a complete and total fuss budget who refuses to entertain the idea of having a good time. And the Lambeth Walk is a good time. If James Earl Jones can get behind it, then the rest of us should be able to follow suit. To that end, hello, my name is John, I am a skeleton and a ham, and I enjoy doing the Lambeth Walk. Please point me toward my pearly king uniform so I may step into it and celebrate accordingly. Out in Timbuktu Now he's coming back yes. To do the same for you So jump into your sunbar Hip, 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 hooray The sun has got his hat on And he's coming out today my girl is positively obsessed with maintaining a certain level of daffy energy. Room is made for the requisite love songs and mournful ballads, but the show consistently returns to a state of musical theater hysteria. That is the baseline. That is the foundation. Are your actors nearly breathless after closing out Act 1 with the Lambeth Walk? Tough, 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 tough. They will go back on stage for the top of Act 2, and they will perform The Sun Has Got His Hat On as if their very lives depended on it. What a title for a song. The Sun Has Got His Hat On. Indeed he does. I want to see mania. I want a frenzy. If I don't see the tremulous spirit of a sun-worshipping cult on that stage, I will consider the night a failure. Do you hear me? A failure. 
All joking aside, if the film Midsummer needed anything, it was a buzzy song and dance number about the sun. Am I wrong? Those people were in need of some basic pizzazz. Maybe you think I look a tramp Oh, you may think I'm hanging round to steal a car But no, I'm not a crook And if you think that's what I look I'll tell you why I'm here and what my motives are A lamppost at the corner of a street In case a certain little lady comes by Oh me, oh my I hope the little lady comes by I don't know if she'll get away She doesn't always get away But anyway, I know that she'll try Oh my, I hope the little lady comes by There's no other girl I would wait for Oh, but this one I'd break any day for I won't have to ask what she's late for She wouldn't leave me flat, she's not a girl like that She's absolutely wonderful, marvellous and beautiful And anyone can understand why I'm leaning on a lamppost at the corner of the street In case a certain little lady comes by Leaning on a lamppost is in good company with other starry-eyed sidewalk serenades, a subgenre that also includes Singing in the Rain and My Fair Ladies on the Street Where You Live. Sidewalk serenades. Sometimes all you need out of a musical is some dopey love-struck fella ambulating down a sidewalk. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Simple joys, simple voice. I consistently fell for the piano work on this album, and that trend continued here. The honey-sweet ivory we hear at the top of this track, hey, forget about it. And do my ears deceive me, or does this number transition into an all-out dream ballet? I swear, if that isn't the underscore for a dream ballet, I will chow down on a lamppost. It won't be easy. My stomach will be torn to shreds. I will die. But I would do it for the podcast. I would. Okay, that brings us to the end of our score deconstruction for me and my girl. And now we are going to get a word from our fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. It is I, Electra, the electric train who is also a computer. Beep boop bop boop beep one zero one. I am currently doing the Mr. Roboto. Ha ha ha. I am the greatest creation under God's green earth. Under God's green earth I move and I plow my way through the surface of the earth and I breach it and I take control of it for I am powered by electricity. Ha ha <laughs> you miscreants, you rabble-rousing rascals, you morons, you bow and you scrape at the feet of Electra, the electric train slash computer. <laughs> you cannot keep any secrets from me, and if you attempted to do so, I would delete you using my keyboard, for I am Electra, the electric train slash computer. Beeble bop bop one zero zero one. You get it. Look, I'm exhausted, and you know why? Because I'm gonna let you in on one of my secrets. My secret is that electricity is not the most powerful force in this universe. And it really goddamn clogs my pipes to admit that. But here's the thing, 5678 coffee is gonna give you more energy than electricity. Let's say I put my hands on you and I sent 4,000 goddamn lightning bolts through your stupid flesh body. That would not come 
compare to one single mug of five, six, seven, eight coffee. And oh, if I could, I would wipe five, six, seven, eight coffee off of the face of God's green earth. I would send it under the surface into its very core, the core of the earth. But I don't have that kind of power. I'm not God. I don't pray to the Starlight Express. Fuck that. Fuck that guy. Uh-uh. No, thank you. It's you and me, and you're going to take my recommendation seriously, okay? Pray to me. Pray to me, Electra, the electric train slash computer. Beep, boop, bop, 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 one, zero, one. Five, six, seven, eight, coffee. You can count on it. And if you do not, go to your local supermarket and buy a can today. I can tell you this. You can count on me turning you into a fucking smoky shish kebab. That's right. I'm going to spear you with a stick and I'm going to turn you. I'm going to turn you smoky and crispy with my electricity. Or I am, say it with me, E-Lectra, the electric train slash computer, BIMAP-BIMAP-101, I'm doing the robot, baby! Final thoughts regarding me and my girl. Look, no offense to the school theater departments and regional venues of the world, but if I were to pay hard currency for the privilege of seeing me and my girl, that production needs to be airtight, uber-focused, and undeniably top-tier. I have no interest in seeing people try to play the spoons, okay? And I need a professional ensemble tackling the choral material. Those harmonies aren't going to tighten themselves. What fascinates me about Me and My Girl is how it doesn't really exist in the zeitgeist despite half a century of undeniable success. Am I wrong in assuming that outside of its remaining disciples, the majority of Broadway fans are clueless when it comes to this piece? I'm going to go out on a limb and say I am not wrong. Thank you very much. So let's change that. Let's bring me and my girl back to Broadway, back to the West End, and see how it holds up in the light of a new millennium. Why not? It's a light and harmless trifle. That's my final diagnosis. Now, in 1987, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Les Miserables, and the additional nominees that year were Rags and Starlight Express. Okay, we've talked about three of the four shows at this point. Les Miserables has nothing to worry about as far as I'm concerned. I think at the end of the day, we are going to allow that show to keep its medallion for Best Musical. I don't think we're going to be giving it to any of the other shows that were nominated that year. Rags is the only nominee from this season we have yet to talk about, and I have yet to hear a note of it. Maybe it's a, maybe it's an ace up the sleeve. Maybe it's got something that I am just not expecting, and it'll overturn the tables. Who knows? Okay, let's rank Me and My Girl against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, if you go to our likes, if you click on the first tweet there, that is a Google show. Okay, go to the likes section. There's a Google sheet there. Click on it. The second tab will reveal to you how we have ranked all of the shows against each other over the history of this podcast. So let's do this one. Let's talk about how this one compares to everything else. I'm going to put me and my girl in the number 39 slot. That is between no strings at number 38 and Jamaica at number 40. Now that we have taken care of that, we've taken care of that little task, we can now move on to the show-related ephemera segment. I have a montage for you. Remember my pie song montage from the Waitress episode? This is very similar to that. This is a montage inspired by a number from Me and My Girl. There is a song in this week's subject known as Love Makes the World Go Round. And I went down a crazy rabbit hole because there are many, many songs that share that title, Love Makes the World Go Round. And so I put together a montage of a lot of these different songs. This actually was longer at a certain point. This is about five minutes long. It was seven minutes long because I found a lot of examples that just were not that great, and I didn't think you would necessarily get a lot out of them. So this is really the best of the best, or the weirdest of the weirdest, in my opinion. Before we dive into this montage that I've put together, I do want to provide a breakdown of all of the artists you are going to hear from moment to moment. We will begin in 1958 with a single by Perry Como. We will then transition into the original Broadway cast album for the musical Carnival, that is from 1961. 
Then we will transition into the 1963 single by Paul Anka, the 1966 single by Dion Jackson, the 1982 single by The Jets, which is technically a cover of the Perry Como song. We will then transition into a bit of audio from the OBC album of Me and My Girl, which is from 1986. We will then get the 1986 Love Makes the World Go Round from True Blue, that is a 1986 Madonna album. We will then get audio from the 1992 Don E. Single. Ah, then, then, this is very special. We're, we're going to be hearing some audio from Mime for a Change, which is season one, episode 11 of the Powerpuff Girls. This would have originally aired in 1999. And then to round us out, we are going to get a bit of audio from <laughs> Love Makes the World Go Round from Autobiography, which is a 2004 Ashley Simpson album. And we will close out, we will close this out with a little bit of a taste of the 2016 single by Jennifer Lopez and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay, it took me so long to record that, that breakdown that you just heard. It was very difficult for some reason. I am sweaty and exhausted, so please release me. <laughs> release me from this part of the show so that we can hear that goddamn audio I've been hyping for this whole this whole extended period of time. Let's hear it. Love makes the world go round Your pulse will beat And your heart will pound Cause love makes the world go round
which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator, I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, A Gothic Evening with Beatrice Swampscott, Vampire Feminist. Everyone ready? Then away we go! I have stepped off of the musical carousel and I find that I am in the year 2015. This is a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 623 performances and the name of that show is, wait for it, ah, it's coming, it's An American in Paris. Yes, that shall be the subject for our next episode, An American in Paris. Ha 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 ha, wee wee. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. Uh, let's say you donate one dollar a month. Thank you. You get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You also get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least one dollar a month. Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, John, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. But we're not done. $1 a month donors also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, a review of the online concert Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, and a review of Hamilton via Disney+. Plus. Here's what we have coming up for the bonus episodes, okay? We have four of them now on the docket for the future. On October 21st, we'll be releasing our episode on on Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op. On November 18th, we'll be releasing our episode on John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. And we now have, also on the docket, we have bonus episodes regarding Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. These are Netflix Christmas movie musicals that are dropping in November. We don't have hard release dates for the episodes yet, but they will be coming. Don't you, don't you get skeptical with me. It's gonna happen, baby. But we're not done. $1 a month patrons also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and you get access to M3, the movie musical man, which is a special series for which I watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. That show is on a break right now, but we will be returning with brand new monthly episodes starting December 23rd, okay? I believe that I, I believe I said December 30th, but we have moved up our Holly Jolly episode, our Holly Jolly trilogy of movie musicals. That will be dropping on December 23rd, just in time for Christmas. Yay! If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You also get season one, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and you get a special one-off, oh, a one-off episode about the Netflix show Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You also get season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, the advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, and you get access to the ongoing season two of All I Ask of You. Season two is currently running every Wednesday, every week, a brand new episode. Oh, it's true. You also get access to our ongoing Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It, volume one. That is a collection of five, six, seven, eight ads and musical shoutouts from the first 25 episodes of the podcast. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus you get The Snub Club, season one, 12 episodes. That is a special series for which we discuss Broadway musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It's true, they were snubbed. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to leave a five-star review. If we can get to 65 star reviews, I will release a special episode about Disney's 
Zombies franchise. We currently have 33. Come on, baby, get that number up, up, up. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. That is at musicalmanpod.podbean.com. You can find us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email us at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny. Ooh, I'm still thinking about those ciders and donuts. You know, we slurped and chomped on those. <laughs> they vanished right quick. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, but you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off edition, and good night. Station in filth. What, in this morning's paper? No, tonight's telly programs. <laughs>